everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 36 of the show, which is a perfect square, which doesn't really matter, except that I have, we're probably a couple of squares. It has to mean something. I, I wish just, it did. I just don't know what. But it also means that we are well on our way through 1963, currently ready to finish out the month of September. Yay! Uh, we are in the second week of release, which is September 10th, actually, and we'll probably do the last three comics of the month today. And to start it off, I have a question for you, because you've mentioned this whole uh, trade paperback or Marvel Masterworks thing you had as a wee John Wilson. Uh-huh. And that you read like a billion times. So the first, like, what was it? 20 Amazing Spider-Mans? Yes. Are like ingrained in your brain, right? Right. Was this issue we're going to cover right now part of that collection or it was not I, I had I had zero concept that the Sandman ever fought anybody besides Spider-Man um, I eventually found out that he was a Fantastic Four villain for a while because I remember seeing the Fantastic Four 61 cover and at first I thought it was like a one-off thing that I found no he was actually a Fantastic Four villain for a while but then Strange Tales 115 with the Sandman yeah. yeah, I kind of figured it wouldn't have been because it's such a minor Spider-Man appearance. But the completest to me was like, that'd be really cool if they threw this story into that trade collection, even though it's really not about Spider-Man at all. But Oh, I wish that the person who made those books was as completest as I was and put every Spider-Man appearance in there. That would have been phenomenal. I would have forgiven Strange Tales Annual 2 because it would have <laughs> had like the Avengers number one and like all this other stuff in it. It would have been great. Or Avengers 3. Sorry. The Avengers 3 has everybody in it. Right. Anyways, who's uh, who's up the bat for this? You are a spider fan. Woohoo! Okay. So um, I love this cover. This is one of the best Strange Tales covers. Um, it has the Sandman with his like oozy sand menacingly approaching the torch who appears to be getting rained on. So he's in the process of getting his flame doused. And it's, I mean, it's not like super actiony, but it's like kind of menacing and creepy and just has a really cool feel. Yeah. It's, it's a really nice layout. And, uh, uh, I imagine because Spider-Man's probably really popular at this point that slapping his head on the thing didn't hurt either. Yeah. His head is up there. Like it's been mounted on the wall. Like somebody has hunted <laughs> Spider-Man and beheaded yeah. him. And, yeah. but no, the, the dead head of Spider-Man is thinking the torch will have to save himself without the help of Spider-Man. But I wonder, can he do it? Spider-Man's foe. Dun, not dun, just, dun. not just a bad guy, but at this point, Spider-Man's bad guy. And they're calling him Spider-Man's fatal foe. No jokes on you. They are the deadly foes of Spider-Man. Hello. Get your facts straight. <laughs> I thought they were sinister. Okay, well, yeah, you had the Sinister Six, but then, like, you had that that miniseries in 1992 or something, The Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. Did you read that? I read that. Is um, Sandman a part of the Sinister Six or no? He is. He is part of the Sinister Six. Okay. He's part of the Sinister Six, and then, I don't know if you're aware, but there actually is no Sinister Six for, like, 20 years, 30 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was was like a 90s invention, isn't it? Or 80s? Yeah, the 90s. Well, the 90s brought it back. Um like 1990, I think that summer of 1990, right before I got back into comics, I just barely missed that story. And it's had it's had multiple rotations as well, I believe, because at some point Sandman isn't so sinister anymore. But I don't know. We'll get there, you know, when we're 95. 
Right, yeah, because they kind of coerce him to be on the team again. But yeah, once they bring it back, it kind of becomes a thing, and they, they keep doing Sinister Six stories. So, um, synopsis of the story. Uh, the Torch is flying around, being the Torch, goes to see Reed. Reed's like, hey, um, so Sandman's free, and, no, not Sandman's free, but like, uh, what are they even talking about? I, I remember that he goes over there. This is, okay, he goes to see Reed. And that, like, inspires some recapping of the sand and the Sandman fighting Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Reed's like, oh, yeah, Johnny, I just don't think you could ever fight a guy like the Sandman. I, I don't think you're good enough. And um, coincidentally, Sandman gets free from prison. And Torch is like, I better go show those Joes that I can, bite, I can beat Sandman like anyone. So he goes, Sandman's on a bridge like in the Fantastic Four movie, and Torch is like, hey, Sandman, want to fight me? And Sandman's like, you? Psh, no. I'm looking for Spider-Man. <laughs> Give me a real superhero. And Torch is like, I- I'm-, I'm a real superhero. I'll show you. And um, so he, uh, he sort of, like, scares the Sandman just enough to, like, annoy him, and Sandman decides to go hide under the bridge until Torch leaves. So Torch leaves. And then we see Spider-Man up on an antenna with a bullhorn. Hey, Sandman, it's Spider-Man. Come and get me. And Sandman said to Homer on TV, hey, look, it's Spider-Man. I'm going to go get him. So Sandman climbs up the giant building towards the antenna to get Spider-Man. He punches Spider-Man. Spider-Man falls down the antenna toward his death. And flame on! catches on fire and blazes through the sky. It was actually the torch in disguise. He flies back up. He gets the Sandman and uh, Sandman dives into an elevator shaft and turns all sandy because of all the ropes and the elevator gears. Doesn't want to get hurt. And they fight in a building and Sandman turns on the, uh, the, the, uh, the sprinklers to put the torch's flame out. But then also the water starts soaking into Sandman's body. So instead of like free flowing sand, he gets all sludgy mud man and he can't really control his body as well, which I thought was a pretty neat touch, but I'm not entirely sure it's consistent with later stories. And, uh, and yeah, so he um, loses control of his body. Can't move himself around. Torch punches him in the face. Police come and get him. And Spider-Man stands there thinking, huh, the torch caught Sandman. But I don't think this town's going to be big enough for the two of us. Uh, yep. The end. <laughs> so this is a little silly uh-huh. um, in a couple ways. Like, well, one, it seems like this book is the book where the Fantastic Four um, diss on Johnny. Like, that's the entire theme every story for some reason. Like, they don't right. do that in the Fantastic Four. No, no, could- no. That I could think of. It's always in here, like, you know, you're just too dumb or too young or you have to go to school or you're not really a member. And I guess that's just because Stan's, like, trying to write this geared towards, like, teenagers where parents just don't understand or something. Uh, but secondly, I think it's insane that, one, Reed would think that Human Torch can't handle the Sandman over Spider-Man. And two, that Sandman would not think of Human Torch as a legit superhero threat because at this point in 1963 i imagine that the fantastic four are the predominant longest lasting straightforward superheroes of the new york scene yeah and spider-man's like the team yeah and spider-man's like just this guy so if i was sandman i'd be far more scared that the human torch showed up to try and take me on than spider-man but that's just me Makes me wonder if there's like this. Well, no, because we get we get it in Glenville. Like they're all yay torch. Yeah, kind of like they're all yay Superboy in the Superboy comics. Like Superboy is the star of Smallville. 
Mm-hmm. And six, except when there's a story where he like loses his reputation, or whatever. But I started to think that maybe I wonder if like the Fantastic Four are out there doing their thing, and Reed Richards, Mister Fantastic, Susan Storm, the Invisible Woman, Ben Grimm, the Thing, and Johnny. <laughs> no, I don't think that. Well, at least in the Fantastic <laughs> Four, I don't think that. But yeah, they act like that in this book, and it's just kind of crazy. I don't know. And honestly, like, I mean, not to diss Spider-Man, but in a way, like, isn't the Human Torch sensibly more powerful than Spider-Man? Like, hello, Supernova Man, you know? Yeah, the fact that he's a a walking heat source. Yeah. Yeah. Against a guy made of sand. Yeah. You'd think that'd scare him a little bit, but whatever. Turn him to glass. Um, I did look that up. What? Because there's that part on page 10 where he's like, he's right, uh, because he's like, sand doesn't burn. Oh, so he uh-huh. figures that his uh, torch will be able to hurt him. And he's right to an extent. Like okay. sand is a common fire extinguisher. You're like you're on campfires, you dump sand on the fire to make sure it goes out. You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But with enough heat, sand does melt and fuse together into a glassy substance. It does take 3000 degrees Fahrenheit for that to happen, mm-hmm. but it does happen. So he, he you know, he, the torch yeah. could actually be a threat. I mean, how hot, how hot does it have to be for you to, uh, you know, fly through the ocean and evaporate it as you go, you know? Right. So he could do it, I thought, but hey. Um, did you notice the kind-hearted people over at Amazing Spider-Man magazine allowed a special arrangement to happen where they could do this? <laughs> I did notice that. I thought that was adorable that they're trying to pretend they're bigger than they are. Right. Um, <laughs> but on top of that, I'm kind of noticing, I don't know if this has already been happening and I'm just becoming aware of it, but it's kind of a Marvel thing, I think, more than DC, where like the captions are about them talking to us, like things like, this is a crazy story we wrote and we didn't want to publish it, but we lost the bet. So now we have to. We hope you like it. Zoinkers, you know? And it's like... Uh, um, they're trying to make it more like personable. Like there's actually people behind these stories. Yeah. I mean, you get that sometimes even go back. I I can remember amazing fantasy 15 where it's like, do you like costumed characters? Uh huh. Well, around here we call them long underwear characters and you know, they're a dime a dozen, but we think you're going to find Spider-Man a little bit different. Is it sort of that, you know, sort of kickback. Let me tell you a story by the campfire kind of thing. Uh Um, so I do like that about Marvel. It, it's part of their whole, you know, cultivation of a, of a personality following, which you're right. I don't recall seeing that a lot at DC. I mean, DC, there's the storytelling and there's the, you know, don't, don't reveal the twist at the end kids, Mm -hmm. but uh, it just, it's a different feel in a way that I'm not sure I could describe. They start referring to themselves. I think I'm not in this issue per se, but this, this caption made me think of that. Like, you know, they'll start talking, they'll, they'll start talking about like how awesome Jack Kirby is going to draw this issue or, or something like that, you know, like they're breaking the, the story to remind us that they're creators and they're superstars, I guess. I don't know. And, and I think sometimes when they, when Stanley says something like, you know, Steve Ditko had this idea and, and we're not sure, but we're going to throw it out at you and see what you think. Uh huh. That was actually indicative of Stan not really liking the idea and not thinking it would be a good story, but acquiescing to Steve Ditko's insistence. Yeah. Like, and so, like, that was actually not silly sometimes, and, and people took offense. <laughs> yeah, and that'll actually be the next story, so. Oh, well, okay. Um, uh, in this issue, I mean. Yeah, There's, like, the, that the, whole big, long caption about how they weren't sure they were going to do this. So, <laughs> I guess that's just him, like, you know, hedging his bets or something. Um, 
I think you're I, right about the whole Sandman getting wet thing. Mm-hmm. Like normally he just turns to sludge and mush and and uh, you know is incapacitated. Whereas this is like he just loses his power and becomes like a person. Right. Like I'm so sludgy and muddy that I can't move, and so I'm just it, it's going to treat me like I'm a regular. And Torch just punches him like he's a dude. Mm-hmm. Well, he uh, I, he fights him with his. Now we here we go again. We got um, uh, Reed Richards. I think he credits him for teaching him judo. Like, so just like Miss Miss uh, Miss uh, Invisible Girl did, right? Mm-hmm. So apparently that's still a thing. Mister Fantastic knows judo and teaches them judo all the time, but we've never seen him actually practice it. But then he also uh, um, says something about like the thing, doesn't he? Like the thing taught him how to wrestle or something like that. Maybe I'm making that up. Uh, yeah, I'm having trouble finding that that reference, but yeah, I, I believe you. Wow. Oh yeah, it's, 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 I've still got one thing in my favor. The long hours the thing spent teaching me every rough and tumble trick in the book. There you go. And the lessons I've had in judo and karate from Mr. Fantastic. That's two things. Two things in my favor. The long hours with the thing and the lessons I've had in judo from Mr. Fantastic. And also being able to hide with my sister. Three things. Three things I've learned. Yeah. So I like that, you know, that he was, you know, when they have, when, they have, when neither of them have power, even though uh, Sandman is obviously bigger, that Johnny can still take him because he's a cool superhero guy. So, um, one cool thing, just, just a few little notes I had before we, uh, I, I don't know, I have a whole lot to say about the story, but just a few little things. Um, there was some Molecule Man continuity at the beginning. Oh, was there? Okay. Yeah, just, just a reference. Uh, oh, yeah. Page two, the first panel, he's flying in, and mm-hmm. Reed says, they're busy working on a detailed report of our Molecule Man case. So, that's what uh, the other two members of the team are doing, is writing up, I guess, for, for Lee and Kirby to make the comic out of it. I don't know. And um, the next panel on that same page, Reed says, as for me, I'm right in the middle of some new experimentation, trying to find a cure to Alicia's blindness. I just can't stop now. So, those are both two references to, the, you know, the, the Fantastic Four comic, which is great. God, that blindness thing was, like, multiple issues ago, though, isn't it? That seems like a little left field, but... Uh... Um, it, it came up in the Ramatut story, yeah, and it had been mentioned like one or two issues before that that instead of curing the thing, he was not thing says like, why don't you try finding a cure for Alicia's blindness or something? And so it just it just came up a couple times, but it's it's kind of neat that it comes up a couple times. That detailed report thing is interesting because it could be for comics, or it could be like something they give to the government, or you know who knows, or maybe it's just for their own personal files. Like, what is the Fantastic Four reporting for? But we'll never know. And it just seems like the sort of control freak thing that Reed would do normally. Mm-hmm. But if they get money somehow for their scientific endeavors, then maybe that's part of the deal is they have to report like Molecule Man is a scientific anomaly, I guess, mm-hmm. or something. So maybe they have to report those kind of things. Or, you know, meeting Owatu again is pretty scientific, I suppose. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe whoever's giving them the money gets these reports. So I don't think that these two have run into each other since uh, these two being Spider-Man and the Torch. I don't think they've run into each other since the Strange Tales annual. No, I could but be they, wrong. They sure hate each other still. Yeah, because he's like that swell-headed Spider-Man. From what I've heard of the Sandman, he was a real tough customer. Uh, no, it was the um, the panel after that. He nearly walled up the tar out of that swell-headed Spider-Man in their first battle. I love so, that. Yeah. I love that. Like Reed is like. Johnny, there's no way you can beat him. Spider-Man had to use a vacuum to take out this guy. (laughs) Yep. It's like, well, you got me there. I have no idea how to use a vacuum. Yeah. I mean, Uh, all these newfangled vacuums they have now, it's kind of crazy. 
How about this splash page though? Not to go all the way back, but oh, yeah. I did I did find that pretty amazing. Like Dick Iris is like okay, but that was a good splash page. Yeah. That's a really good splash page. It's it's a pinup poster is what it is of the torch. Pretty much, yeah. That's been covered with copy and inset panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the f- uh, the f- uh, four in the background. Um, yeah. Now it's part of the story. He sees the flare and he goes. It's Reed who's trying to talk to him. But just that four in the background is is kind of iconic with the torch there. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So the Sandman escapes jail, and and what is funny is that in the first panel, the torch says. I'm trying to remember what I, what I what I wrote down here. Yeah, page four. Spider-Man's no friend of mine. Um, so the Sandman is biding his time in jail, waiting for the right moment. And I'm thinking the right moment. You mean the moment when he's in his jail cell with bars that he can crawl through? <laughs> yeah, they haven't come up with a uh, this idea of a, like a super villain prison yet, I suppose. Which would be what in Marvel? I forget already. Uh, they have a name for it. I forget. It's like on an island or something. The uh, the vault, maybe. Yeah, the or vault. I think. Rikers maybe. Island. Well, that's a, is that a real place. Is that a real place? God, we're so like we're so prepared. Yeah, I think it is the vault or something like that. Someone will write in, but uh, yeah, eventually they come up with this idea that you know superheroes need to be jailed in a more uh, uh, stricter fashion. I guess super villains. I would just a room with no bars would be the best place to put the Sandman. <laughs> He's like, I mean, no bars, no cracks, um, no access to any sort of ventilation. Like, he'd be a squirrely one to keep. It just is, yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer, though. Just no yeah. no, no open spaces he can crawl through. Yeah. Um, it, it is really rude of Reed. He's like, J- Johnny says, you don't have to spell it out. You want me to bring him in, right? Not exactly. I want you to find Spider-Man. He's had more experience against the Sandman. And Torch, the Torch who, like you said... He's been around since the Fantastic Four number one. He's had his own series since Strange Tales 101. This is his 15th issue. How many issues has Spider-Man had, kids? Not 15. Mm-hmm. And so the torch is like, are you out of your ever-loving mind? Since when does a human torch act like a messenger boy? And I, I think he's right. I think he's justified to go off kind of half-cocked here. I mean, and if you think about it, the only interactions that Reed Richards and Spider-Man have had have not been very good it yeah, kinda, it, it makes Spider-Man look pretty immature, actually. Like he's a kid who needs money was the only interaction they've ever had. So why would Reed Richards like put more trust into that guy than his own teammate? You're yeah, that's that's also a good point. Yeah, they know nothing about Johnny has actually had a lot more involvement with Spider-Man than Reed Richards has. Mm-hmm. Um, dressing up as Spider-Man, though, to trick the Sandman and lure him into a fight so he could be captured was pretty great yeah although i I did not love ayers as spider-man but i i i feel like it came off a little off model and just in the way he holds himself the way he moves but then i was like but that's actually somebody else in the spidey suit so it actually kind of works for the story yeah whether he did that on purpose we'll never know but we can just say that he did right different body type different face uh shape so it doesn't look like ditko spider-man but and my last comment was that Spidey makes his second appearance for the series in this issue, um, which means that he and the Torch are not strangers to each other's book. Um, they do, you know, get involved in each other's lives. And funnily enough, his little comment there, sooner or later this town will be too small for the Torch and me, is going to have a payoff pretty quickly, just a couple episodes from now. Yeah, it's funny that Spider-Man's like, 
a little jealous, like, you know, he's cutting in on my, he says my capers. Right. It's like, whereas for me, I'd probably just be happy that this horrible bad guy got caught. And that's fine. Like, it doesn't have to be caught by me, per se. But, hey, that's okay. Um, also, first appearance of Spider-Man that's not Peter Parker, right? Oh, somebody else being Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, You're right. not that that's a huge deal, but still, we're getting around in the Marvel Universe. So, um, the Sandman, I always thought of as a Spider-Man villain, but sure enough, he is not. He doesn't stay a Spider-Man villain. He's with the Torch here, and we're going to see him in two more Spidey stories, but the Torch is in one of those. Hmm. And then the Sandman becomes a Fantastic Four villain for a while. Wow. Yeah. No, I didn't know that either. To me, he's always been a Spider-Man villain. And of course, he's definitely a Spider-Man spinoff character, so. Yeah, because he's. He's done the villain bit. He's also done the hero bit. He's actually one of Marvel's more versatile characters as far as um, when he is a villain. He has lots of different antagonists he goes up against. But he's also had plenty of times where he's sympathetic or at least not villainous. Yeah, he's one of those like, you know, toes or goes down the middle of the street kind of guys like Catwoman or uh, I don't know. There's probably others. Venom these days, I guess. Mm hmm. Um which I like because not everybody has to be evil, maniacal, trying to take over the world. Sometimes you just do bad things once in a while, and other times you do good things. And we find out he has family that he's doing this for and everything, so it's mm-hmm. it's pretty great. Yeah. But I think I'm done with the torch story. You ready for uh, to get a little stranger with our strange tales? Strange. The origin of Doctor Strange. Because we've been wondering. In answer to an avalanche of requests. Do you think that's true? I think it's conceivable because mm-hmm. there's actually been enough time. So guess, many I mean, times. We'll never like, know. Like, they right. always say stuff like that. You wrote all these letters, so we did this. Did you? Did you write those letters? We don't know. Because he was in 110 and 111. Mm-hmm. Then 12 and 13, he was off. He was in 14. Now this is 15. So this is coming out five months after the, pre- after the first one hit, which could mean that they've gotten letters about the first and maybe the second issue, which did inspire them to start making this story. Well, if like you said, um, if like you never did his origin and I almost if, if, wonder, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, if like you said, Stan does not like the concept of Dr. Strange and yet here he is anyway, they must've got letters. Yeah. Also, if maybe Steve Ditko didn't want to do an origin story and mm. so he, he's doing an origin story here because he has to, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings on this origin story. I, I, I have lots of questions that I would ask Ditko if A, he were alive and B, he were my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. If he would actually answer them. Right. Because this, this is an interesting story. Anyways. So the origin of Dr. Strange, we've all seen the movie. It's not that different. Um, Stephen Strange is a man who was a surgeon back in the days before like, a lot of medical insurance, a lot of standardized medical costs. Stephen Strange would do really high risk surgeries really well, but for really, you know, high costs. And so being able to pay his fee was the thing. And if he couldn't pay his fee, he didn't care. So he gets in a car accident, which damages his hands. They're not like that visibly damaged, unlike in the movie, but there's like, um, nerve damage below the, below, below the skin tissues. So since there's nerve damage, he can't, you know, do the fine 
uh, finely controlled surgeries he used to do. So he kind of loses his job, loses his profession, and becomes a bit of a bum. He hears people talking uh, in the alleyways one day about getting cured by a magic power. Uh, he investigates the rumors and starts going on a uh, search. And um, we see him climbing the mountains in... Um, I don't remember if they said Tibet or if it just is somewhere in Asia, maybe. Anyways, he meets the uh, this really, really old guy with a really cool hat who says that, you know, you'll have to stay here, you know, if you want to learn anything. He has another student named Baron Mordo. Stephen Strange doesn't really believe in this whole magic thing. He thinks it's all hogwash until he sees that Baron Mordo is trying to kill the Ancient One with a spell. Uh He's going to go tell the Ancient One that Mordo's trying to kill him. When Mordo casts a spell on him, there's like an invisible clamp on his mouth. He can talk. He just can't say anything about Baron Mordo trying to kill the Ancient One. So he realizes that magic is, in fact, real. And since he can talk, he tells the Ancient One, I want to train under you. I want to learn everything there is to know about this magic, these mystic arts. And... Uh, the ancient one's like, sure, no problem. Let me just remove the magic clamp that Mordo put on your face. And Steven's like, you know, you know, he was trying to kill you because I just want to protect you. And he's like, yeah, of course I knew. I'm super cool. And Stephen Strange swears to learn everything he can from the ancient one until he does. And he becomes the master of black magic, Dr. Strange. Yay. So, so this is, of course, you know, Doctor Strange, played by Frumius Bandersnatch in the films. And um, what did you think of the origin? Well, I mean, I knew it already. Uh, I don't know that I've ever actually read the original original like we just did right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Like you said, it mostly plays like the movie, a very condensed version, obviously, because it's a tiny short story in the back of this issue. Um, I do think it's, I don't know, like... I feel like the motivation is missing a little. And again, that could be because the story's so short. Like he just has this turn for no particular reason. Or does he even turn? Like, did he want to save the ancient one altruistically or because he wants his hands fixed? And if it's the latter, then how, you know, then do we even like Doctor Strange or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's a good like, question. Like that part went real fast and it, and see, the thing is, like, unlike the movie, like you said, now that there's, you know, HMOs and stuff, like, in this, it's all about money for him, it seems like. It's not about being the best. The movie was all about being the best. And the money, I suppose. Uh, I, I thought the movie did a good job of conveying the same type of personality uh-huh. with a little bit of a different context. Because in the industry now, there is no, like, I will charge you $5,000 for the surgery because I can, and that's the way it is. Right. That That thing just doesn't exist. So they had to do a similar type of sentiment, but with modern storytelling. Right. Uh, you know, with modern medical industry. Right. And so the fact that he loses... I was just looking back through the... That he loses his ability to do... Ahead, sur- I'm sorry. The fact that he loses his ability to do surgery is more prominent in the movie because he wants to be the best and now he can't be. Whereas I feel like this guy could probably have still made money somehow. But I don't somehow, know. Somehow. Doing something. Yeah. He's smart. Yeah. Right. I was book. looking back through his, uh, you know, transition from self-centered to, you know, altruistic, and it doesn't seem to be anything other than I see Mordo trying to kill that guy. You're not supposed to kill people. I should help him. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know is is decent humanity, but it's not that great of a motivation. Yeah, it is clever though. I like that it was. I liked his workaround. That was kind of neat. 
It's like, I can't. Yeah, finding the loophole in the spell. I can't tell you that you're about to die. So instead, why don't you teach me everything there is about magic and then I'll just save you myself, <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah. So this um, this doesn't address how Baron Mordo fell out of the school. And so even though we have an origin for Doctor Strange, we still have a gap of time and events mm-hmm. between this origin story and the Doctor Strange stories, which is interesting because I, I think the movie does the same thing. We don't know when that movie took place. It could be any when in the Marvel history. Wow. And and Stephen Strange gets mentioned in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Does he? Yeah. By what? I don't even remember that. There's a rooftop scene where somebody is mentioning uh, people of note, people of interest to like either S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, or HYDRA or something. Where they're tossing the HYDRA agent off the roof? Yeah, and they mention Stephen Strange. So That was our first inkling they might do a Doctor Strange movie. It still kind of bothers me that he's the master of black magic, and I don't know why. But yeah, I was going to ask if you if you were put off by the use of that phrase. And then even in the movie, if we're going to talk about the movie, like Mordo is just as bothered more so than I am that the ancient one is 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 sneaking the use of black magic to keep bad guys away. Like she's she's walking this gray line, and he wants to be absolute good magic versus absolute bad magic, and that's why he quits the school in the movie. Right. Uh, but here, it's like they all practice black magic and the ancient one knows that Mordu is evil but better to keep his enemies close and continue to train him knowing full well that at any moment he could stab him in the back I guess I remember feeling weird the first time that I read this like mm-hmm. black magic was evil and mm-hmm. you know it's just kind of like that part of our cultural concept of magic which isn't real so it's kind of weird that we have rules um, but yeah, black magic is bad, and I guess white magic is good. And so if Doctor Strange is doing black magic, isn't that weird and kind of evil? Um, but these stories don't seem to have any sort of separation. Magic is magic, and it happens to be black. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Like, maybe there is no white and black magic. It's just unfortunate they're using a color to describe magic, but all magic is just, like, mysterious and mercurial and kind of evil. Not religious you know? Yeah. Outside of or, Catholicism. Or does the black even denote evil? Yeah. I don't know. Is it just like in 1963, if you practice magic, you were practicing the art of black magic. Dun, dun, dun. Cause I don't know. You weren't, uh, you weren't Mormon or something. I don't know. We do get a mention of Dormammu in this one, which I believe is the first mention of Dormammu. Mm-hmm. Mordo calls upon him. Dormammu do not fail me. Um, which, you know, one of the most best known arcs of Ditko's Doctor Strange run is a big Mordo Dormammu story where they're working together against Doctor Strange. Yeah, I noted that too. And I, so I actually looked up to see if Dormammu is like a kind of like an Odin or a, a Zeus or something. Like, is he already something that existed? And you can throw that name out. And he's not. He's a total Marvel creation. So that means like Ditko either was. A, just throwing out fancy-sounding names when they're casting spells, or B, actually had some sort of plan that someday he's going to introduce whoever the heck this Dormammu is. Yeah, I, that's that's interesting. And those are the kinds of questions that I love to, like, would would love to ask creators is, what order did your ideas happen? How did mm-hmm. your ideas develop? Not where do your ideas come from, because that's a really, you know, stereotypically weird question to ask writers. But, like, what came first? Yeah, I mean, it's a fancy name, but he he's consistent with it because in the next story they use it again. So 
Yes. It's a name that means something to him. Either that or he just wrote it down and said, keep using that name because it sounds magical. Um, page six, panel six. Okay, so Doctor Strange says when he has the clamp on his mouth, he looks in the mirror and says, wait, it isn't really there. Yet I am unable to speak. So there is such a thing as a magic spell, and this is proof of it. So, you know, in stories, whenever something fantastic is happening, you always have your skeptics. Your skeptics don't believe, you know. Um, Scully in the X-Files is, is, is one of the best examples of this. Yeah. She has her empiricist point of view, and she's not going to believe in something outside of her worldview unless she has evidence for it. Mm-hmm. And yet, the better portrayals of those characters have, when presented with evidence that cannot be argued, you accept that something else is going on, uh, which which I think is good. I think that's the way it should be. Uh, you know, those of us out, out there in the world who don't have a lot of use for religion, if they were, you know, if presented with actual evidence of, you know, mystical supernatural entities, then we might change our tune. Yeah, it's it's just a much different world these people are living in than our world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, to have a scientist who's just adamant that there is no magic is almost would almost be absurd if they lived in the Marvel or DC universe, you know, because there it the, is. Also, the people who are like, maybe there really is life on other planets, right, Martian Manhunter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the first, like, eight or nine issues that we covered on the show where every single one of them was aghast that there was an alien invasion. Like, right. I was, That's happened I was 15 just... times already in your universe, buddy. Watch some TV. <laughs> what episode came out today? Was it 24? Uh I was listening to 24 this morning, and we were talking about it's another alien invasion. Yeah. And I'm so glad we've gotten away from a lot of that. I mean, we still have them occasionally, but mostly alien invasions are done now. Yeah. What was the alien invasion in 23? That was, uh, God, I don't even remember. Thor uh, or the, 24. In, yeah, the Cyclops that Ant Man. Oh, and, God, yeah. And Kraglin, the alien who becomes a guardian of the galaxy character. Yeah. But Avengers 2 had Space Phantom with the same yep. MO of. Being the first one to arrive before the rest of his colony comes to see if they can tackle Earth. Like, they've only done that story 68 times. But at least he has the virtue of being a character that gets used later. Yeah, that's true. And he was more interesting. He was. He had the whole limbo trans uh, replacement thing. Mm-hmm. So, are we going to talk about, like, the thing that's most important about this origin story? Or have we already talked about it to death <laughs> in previous issues? Previous episodes? <laughs> we do need to bring up Doctor Strange's face. Yes. So I've gotten into so many arguments about this online. Really? Oh, well, people yeah, disagree yeah. with you because I really? think it's totally accurate, right? And it's just like, oh my gosh, here are pictures. Okay, so recap for new listeners: um, there are comic book shorthand stereotype portrayals of people in different ethnicities that Steve Ditko uses in his early Doctor Strange stories in his portrayals of the Ancient One. Well, in the early Doctor Strange comics, he does all the exact same shorthands for Asian ethnicity with Doctor Strange. The overly puffy eyes that are always closed, they never open, or maybe just like you get a hint of a dot where the pupil might be, you know, but otherwise they're just, you know puffy, closed, slitted eyes. Mm-hmm. It's not good, but it's there. Also, um, really elaborate cut facial hair. You know, yeah. so there, that that's going on. 
the eyebrows, the long nose, the more angular face. It's just a lot of things that you can say, okay, he is portraying an Asian guy. Like, and if we look at page two, panel four of the ancient one, take the wrinkles off, put them in a, a Doctor Strange outfit, same exact person. Yes. So I was surprised when I realized this. I was like looking at this. I was like, he's making Doctor Strange Asian. Doctor Strange is the first Asian character. When did he stop? When did he start being drawn differently? And I was flipping through the comics and I got to the origin story. You go from issue 114, where Doctor Strange looks like Doctor Strange has been looking, like he's the Ancient One's son. And then all of a sudden, he is completely different in this issue. The There is no hint of neither puffy nor slitted nor closed eyes on Stephen Strange. It's all still there for the Ancient One, but it's not there for Stephen Strange. And, and he's called and Mordo. Man of, oh, yeah. I think. Pretty much. Uh, Mordo, Mordo's a little bit different. He's, yeah. he's not quite uh, the ancient one. He's not quite Caucasian. He's a little bit different. I think he was, again, trying to go for an ethnicity, like an Eastern European, maybe Slavic kind of look. Um, so, yeah. Also, Stephen Strange is called Man of the Western World many, many times in this issue. So it's obvious that Stephen Strange is Caucasian. Right. So up until this point, it was pretty easy because there was just little four-page stories. So it was like, here's this Asian master of mystic arts, and he has a disciple who's also Asian because they grew up in the same town. You know, right? We didn't right. know. We don't know who these people are or where they're from. But then, and here, so I looked up this stuff online, and a lot of people agree with with us that that is what was going on. And the cynical version is like maybe that once they actually had a book that was going to, or a story that was going to continue, a character that was going to continue. And now they have to make an origin story that maybe it was like, nope, we got to make him a white guy. Yeah. This is, this isn't a backup, a silly backup that's going to go away anymore. It's a character. So I was also thinking along those lines that maybe they decided to, you know, whitewash the character, but here's the weird thing, which makes me wonder about the origin of this origin story and like who wanted it drawn and everything else. Next issue, Mm -hmm. he's right back to what he was looking like. Yeah, I noticed that too. And over the next several months, he's going to stay. And then over the space of two or three issues, he slowly metamorphoses and is, you know, completely Caucasian with maybe like eyeliner. So the thing is, back in these days, maybe still now, they had house artists, right? Mm -hmm. Like nowadays, especially with the internet and everything. But even before that, you would just have your, you can have your assignments mailed and you can work out of Ohio or whatever. Right. But back then I think people all kind of lived or worked in New York. And on top of that, like I know like say John Ramita, for instance, was a long time like art editor in house and would always, would often fix people's things, you know? So I'm wondering if like, cause you see this first splash page, he looks like he's been looking Pretty much, it's not a very close-up look on the pe- on the face, but yeah, yeah, he's got the eyebrows though, for yeah, sure, and in the in the fe- angular features, it, it's so, definitely in keeping. So I'm wondering if he drew it his way, and then someone touched it or changed it. Oh, you think someone's inking this story? Well, it says drawn by Steve Ditko. It doesn't say right. anything about inking, which usually to me would mean that he did all of it. But I could see like someone just going, "Hey, can you?" Uh, can you give this guy rounder eyes for this, you know, and then just going through after the fact. Yeah. Um, 
Maybe. I I'm don't just know. going through. I, it, it's hard to say. I don't know. I don't either. Because um, it definitely looks Ditko-y. Like these, these panels on page three look very Peter Parker-y, you know? Right. <laughs> Ditko really likes to have his characters look at their hands, I guess, when they become <laughs> – when they have life-changing experiences. But, um, yeah, I don't know. And the thing is, like, I'm not really upset with – I'm not upset about any of it. But I don't mind that he's from America. Because, you know, Asian Americans are a thing. Hello, Asian American listeners. Well, and it's a nice little twist that he's like, just like Iron Fist and Kung Loon or whatever like that. He's the outsider, right? I don't right. know if they're going to play up any of that. But, like, that's okay. That's a cool kind of dramatic beat. Like, you weren't raised here. You weren't born here. You're not supposed to be here. And, and now you're selected as the one, you know, Kung Fu Panda, whatever. But, uh yeah, they could have. He could have still been Asian, and in the movie, they could still make him Asian because you know, hey, America, we've got it all here. So I don't know. I guess that's kind of a uh, missed opportunity. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. So the origin is there. It, mm-hmm. it does what it does. It's a little bit incomplete because it leaves the stuff with Baron Mordo hanging. Um, it's eight pages, which is going to be the standard going forward. And the old master is called the um, ancient one again in this, which is what I think kind of cements the name for him. Um, but yeah, I think that is everything I have for the story. Yeah, me too. Alrighty. Well, good. I'm done recapping. It's your turn. <laughs> God. What Fantastic other- Four 21. There's no other books this month. Oh, yeah. Fantastic Four number 21. That's um, not a square. Let's no, see. it's a multiple of seven and three. Okay. That it's not, that's not cool. On sale September 10th, cover date of December by Stanley Jack Kirby, of course. It's called The Hate Monger, and the villain in it is The Hate Monger. Uh, let's see. So it starts out with, oh God, I think like 99% of Fantastic Four as you start out. It's Reed Richards doing experimental stuff. This time he's talking about the moon. There's something wrong with the moon. It's acting funny. But unlike most issues, this is actually important, so put a pin in it. But while he's trying to investigate the moon, his sensitive equipment starts jostling around because the whole building shakes. So all three members go to find the thing, um, pounding away at like this big oversized metal boxing thing rig that he set up for himself to train on. And they're like, dang, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm really mad. Why are you mad? Because there's this guy going around named the hate monger and he's saying hate speech. And boy, I wish hate speech was illegal so I could knock his block off. But it's not, so we just have to listen to it. Yay, America. And they're like, ah, oh, calm down thing. It's okay. We understand. Let's just go for a walk in our civilian outfits because we do that all the time. Cool you down. Okay. So they go for a walk. And they walk right into a hate monger. Hate monger? Yeah, the hate monger. That sounded weird for some reason when I said it out loud just now. The hate monger, uh, like a rally. And he's telling everybody, you know, if you're not from here to get out... Uh, you know, essentially anybody not white, get out. And But this time they kind of make a mistake because his cronies that are with him start like pushing the crowd around. So that gives the thing the excuse to like pretty much do a big old bear hug on the stadium or on the you know podium or whatever and crush it and attack the hate monger and Fantastic Four join in. But the hate monger has a trick up his sleeve. He has his H-ray, which is a gun that shoots like a hate ray essentially. And he hits them with it. And they immediately all start fighting each other. And not in the fun way they always do, but like actually hating each other. And like back they, in the early issues. Yeah, like back in the early issues. It's like um, – and they kind of fight to a standstill because they're all sort of equally powered or whatever. And they go their separate ways. And uh, Reed Richards goes back to the building 
And lo and behold, his old friend that he met one time in Sergeant Fury number four? Three. Uh, number three. I knew that. Nick Fury is standing there with two eyes. Um, and he says, hey, old pal, I'm here because I work for the CIA now. And there's this place called San Dimas, San Gesso, San Gusto, San Gusto San, or something. Gusto. San Diablo. <laughs> Not San Diablo. Isn't it? It's not a San Gusto or something stupid like that. Anyway, we'll figure it out. I'm not looking. Um, anyway, it's this country, like this third world country, and the government, the American government has put a lot of money into stabilizing the government. But all of a sudden, all the uh, people are revolting and rebelling, and we need the Fantastic Four to go down there and stop things because that's what you guys do. Sort of. Not really. And Reed Richards still in a bad mood from the hate ray, is all about doing that. So he says, I don't need the rest of the Fantastic Four. They're stupid dummies. And he gets into his rocket, and he goes and flies over there himself. Of course, once he gets in the rocket, he flies over New York skyline, and all the other Fantastic Four members see that, recognize the rocket, get really upset that he got to use the rocket without them, and that he's going somewhere without them, and he's a stupid face. And so they all get together and go to the building, and they find Nick Fury waiting for them there because he kind of knew they'd show up. And he tells them where they went. So they go after Reed with the intention of trying to beat him up. Meanwhile, the hate monger also finds out that Reed Richards is going to um, San Dimas, San Gusto, Santa Ana. I looked it up. It is San Gusto. San Diego is another story. San San Diego. A whale's... Okay. Um, San Gusto. (laughs) Um, So he finds out that that Reed is going to San Gusto, and he has his own campaign over there. So he gets into his, um, I guess it's like a a drill or something, a terrestrial missile kind of thing, and it goes underground, and he burrows his way over to San Gusto. So anyway, now they're all going to San Gusto. We on the same page here? Okay. So Reed Richards is over there. He gets there first. He uses his fantastical Mr. Fantastic powers to beat up the rebellion pretty easily. They don't even know what's going on. And then he finds like this high-tech gadget with a weird strobe light on it. And he's like, well, this doesn't belong here. So he digs around a little more and finds that underground is his whole base. And the base belongs to the hate monger. And as soon as he gets in there, he gets gassed and kind of like paralyzed. And the hate monger is giving this big speech about how this right here, I'm using this awesome, my even bigger H-ray to bounce it off the moon. There we go, kids. Where? Remember what I said? Something's going on with the moon. He's bouncing this thing off the moon and then redirecting it to San Gusto as like a test area to see if he could do this to the entire planet, make everybody hate. So that's why there's this rebellion, because it's like the H-rays are making them all crazy. And that's all Nick Fury needed to hear, because he's there the whole time. He's been spying. He pops out. Um, he starts shooting everybody with a machine gun, but like this glass thing goes down and the and the the hate monger twirls his mustache and gets away. But um, meanwhile, Nick figured out how to reverse the H-rays with like a little capsule sniffy thing. And he snaps Reed out of it. Reed in turn goes to find the rest of the Fantastic Four who are all looking for him to beat him up. And he one by one snaps them out of it after like a struggle with each of them. And then they all kind of band together along with Nick Fury. And what do they do? Oh, they attack... Um, um, hate monger, and it looks like he's going to shoot him again with his stupid H-ray, but the Wolverine of the group, Invisible Girl, like puts him in a headlock and knocks him to the ground, and then he's finished. So who's the stupid hate monger? They pull off his purple Ku Klux Klan uh, mask, and it's 
Adolf Hitler. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and just when you think, wow, they really did that in the comic, they also say, or maybe one of his lookalikes. So we don't really know. <laughs> and anyway, they all high five and Nick like, you know, goes home to write up the report or something like that. The end, I think. Yeah. Maybe it ended differently than that. No, that was pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So did you know this was coming, this whole Nick Fury thing? I didn't know Nick Fury was coming. I've, um, well, I mean, I saw it on the cover. Right. But I, mean, I, like, you know. I saw him in green khakis with no eye patch on the cover. And I thought, well, maybe it's going to be a flashback. But it wasn't. It was not a flashback. It was in continuity. So it's pretty great, right? Because they brought, like, you know, Nick Fury's his popular character over in Sergeant Fury. And now, like, well, what would he be doing 20 years later in the present day? Surely he's still around and kicking somewhere. And sure enough, he's at the CIA now. And he's a colonel. It is great. Except my entire life, I was under the impression he lost his eye in the war. And I guess not. Right? So as it happens, coincidentally... Uh, my a couple years uh, in the future of this Marvel read through. Just recently, I read the origin of Nick Fury's eye patch, mm-hmm. and he does have an eye injury in the war. But because of hijinks, the eye is still partly functional, but slowly deteriorating. Oh, so it's like he you you can see he has it, but he can, maybe can't see out of it. Right. So actually, it, there's a note there that sure enough, he's going to lose this eye around 1963 before he becomes an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Interesting. So they sort of retcon that a bit. Yeah. So he loses his eye like the Tuesday after the story. <laughs> okay. All the, the eye patch. All the hijinks with the hate monger jar, jarred it loose and he just, got, right. he just got a patch. Yeah. He's got a patch. Yeah. So, that, that is um, cool, though. Like, it's so much easier in 1963 to bring back Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Then it will be later when you have to explain that he takes like an anti-aging coffee every morning or something. Right. Because um, right now he could just legit be like if he was presumably in his 20s in World War II, like everybody was, even though he doesn't look like it. Yeah. Uh, so he's like 40s now, 50. I don't know. I guess I guess it'd be about right. Yeah. Yeah. But 40, alive, alive and able to be a part of the CIA. No problem. Okay. Have you seen the Captain Marvel trailer? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know when this episode is going to go out because I can't count weeks um, in relation to the Captain Marvel movie. I also don't know when that that movie is going to air. But um, when they showed Nick Fury in that and just the way he was dressed and the way he carried himself and even kind of the shape of his face and features, Mm -hmm. he reminded me so much of this Nick Fury, this like – pre-Jim Steranko, 1960s, classic Nick Fury. Yeah. And it was really, I was like, I mean, I love Carol Danvers and Brie Larson looks amazing. And there were so many things in that trailer that I liked. But seeing Nick Fury looking like this Nick Fury made me really happy. (laughs) Yeah, it was really cool. This is probably a really rare situation where he's in quote unquote modern Marvel, but still Looking like World War II Nick Fury. Yeah. Probably won't happen very long. Um, and this is also going to start sort of the long, slow road to Fury as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to intersect with Captain America along the way. Because when Captain America comes back, he's going to, you know, I hear Nick Fury's still around and working for a Secret Service. I want to go work for him. Um, yeah. And write a letter to him and that letter's going to get lost and all that other stuff. So we get Submariner and we get Nick Fury. Well, oh, I'm. 
my point's already ruined because I was going to say Golden Age characters, but Sergeant Fury isn't a Golden Age character. <laughs> they tricked me. Never mind. But World War II characters. Yeah. But yeah, yeah he, I, I was just thinking like how, well, they brought Sergeant Fury back before Cap, but no, they didn't. They didn't bring him back at all. They just invented him for the first time this year. They brought Hitler back before Cap. How's that? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's better. Because <laughs> he was in the Golden Age. Yeah. Okay, so I have like a very few things to say about the beginning of the story. Okay. Um, Sue Storm is doing the whole Cleopatra wig thing, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Hey, Tony Stark saw that movie." Yeah. Um, that was that was a big big deal, but it was still in the future. Whenever he had his story, and now it's you know way in the past now. Um, all right, so they're talking about how he's not committing any crimes. The hate monger, he gets away with it because never actually does any crime. He just you know. Tells people to hate other people. And I'm like, okay, yes, but incitement to riot is a crime. Like, you can get charged with encouraging people to go crazy. Yeah. I mean, and he's there with, like, all these soldiers who have, like, torches and stuff. So that is a little bit dangerous. Yeah. I would think. And you said that they were being mean to each other, but not in the fun way. And yet I felt like the things they were saying were honest. Like, I felt like it's a kind of say, the sort of thing that in a friendship, you bite your tongue from saying some things because mm-hmm. of the sake of the friendship. Like, the things that they're saying, they actually would say without inhibitions. Yeah, it's like the H-ray just gets rid of the inhibitions and, and pushes you towards the negativity of your emotions, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then I get bored after that. Uh, did you see Johnny was throwing darts at Spider-Man's head? That was just a fun, I did. fun little note. Um, yeah, I don't have much to say. I mean, I know who the hate monger is, but the, I don't think I've read this first appearance of him. He's kind of cool visually, but like also very, um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Like, wow, I Ku can't Klux believe Klan? they did that. Kind of. The Ku Klux Klan? Well, obviously he looks like the Ku Klux Klan, but like that wasn't dangerous to them to like develop this character to do that. Like they were just fine with that. I don't know. I don't know where things like the clan and everything were at the time or where, uh, racial sentiments were at the time but mm-hmm. i think that sent public sentiment has never really gone with the clan and so if you're going to make a pro diversity pro humanity um story having the antagonist of that be a clansman yeah i think helps your case i just wondered if they were worried that anybody would be upset that they made light of you know something that's so horrible but i guess I don't know, maybe in 63, the public awareness wasn't what it is now. Or people weren't as snowflake as they are now, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I almost, I, I don't even know if they feel like they're making light of it. I feel like they're using, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I was reading this. I was feeling a little bit too close to home. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Just, uh-huh. I mean, with just the idea that, you know, somebody can get up on a soapbox and start inciting hate speech and get everyone riled up. And, you know, mm-hmm. change the change the behavior of the culture. It's it's just a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um, and then they link that to clan visuals with the cone hood. Mm-hmm. And they link the attitudes to Hitler. Of course, And yeah. they say this is the sort of thing that America will never stand for. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I, I, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty powerful. Um, but the actual story itself, I feel, is a little bit weak. And... Um, you know, they slowly get everyone back to stop hating. And then, oh, look, it's Hitler or one of his clones that he made. <laughs> yeah. 
And by the way, this is a clone for anybody's interested. Yeah. It's not actually Hitler. And, and actually, I think later on they work with the hate monger and turn it into like a, a malevolent mental entity force that like inhabits people. Oh, God. So something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. Arnim Zola Makes created cl- this clone of Hitler to put Hitler's mind into. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the hate monger took it over. Yeah, that Arnim Zola, man. He loves cloning hate. And Doughboys. The only thing I really have to say, other than, um, you know, I, th- I thought it was kind of clever the way Reed had to, like, trick people into taking this pill and stuff. That was kind of fun. But mm-hmm. um, the only thing I really, 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 really love that I want to talk about is page 12, second to last panel. And hate-driven thing is in Nick Fury's face. What are you sitting there with a chicken scratch and smile on your pan for? I got a good mind too. And then Nick does not care and does not suffer fools. Even if it's the thing who could like split him in half. I just thought that was so cool. Shut up. Who says you got a mind? (laughs) (laughs) It's like this dude's been through World War II and he's been through every mission he went on was a suicide mission that he survived. So he doesn't care that you're trying to intimidate him thing. And, you know, he's like, when you tangle with me, you tangle with the government. Yeah. And whenever he will later get involved with S.H.I.E.L.D., he'll he'll feel like he's not really that the right guy for it. But I think it's like two sides of your job. There's the you you present to your job, which usually, you know, you're growing. You're, you're maybe not the best person for this job, but you're doing your best. And then there's the you you present to your your people as like a representative of this company. So then you like you, you like are the best person for the job because you're representing – everything that you're you know supposed to do mm-hmm. so um it, it's neat yeah i like nick fury i like yeah. him a lot yeah it was cool um so is it time for armor time for let's suit up do, oh man do, 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 if anybody do. ever wants to do an iron man podcast come on suit up that's a good one that's a suit just, up the iron man podcast i'll just i'll just give that out for free yeah or send five dollars send five dollars yeah okay Tales of Suspense 48, uh, spoilers right on the cover, new Iron Man, but he's not in the little corner box, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. How fun this How the- fun would this cover be, though, if you were a kid and you loved Iron Man? Like, man, mm-hmm. I would definitely want to buy this one. And this is a Steve Ditko issue. It's the second of three that he did, and all three of them are a bit longer. This is 18 pages. And... Um, it is called The New Iron Man Battles the Mysterious Mr. Doll. Yeah. So um, I remember this starts off like right in the action. Like Mr. Doll is making a making a, f- a fuss about stuff. And he has these little like clay dolls. He like molds their features into different things. And Iron Man attacks him. But he like molds his doll into Iron Man, like squeezes it. And I was like, oh, my God, the pain, my suit. I can't do anything. And he, like, falls out of the castle where they're fighting into the moat. So then he, um, Tony Stark gets in his car, drives home, and uh, passes out in his office with his uh, power cord plugged in. Um, Pepper and Happy are wondering what's going on. He wakes up. Whew, still alive. That's good. And Mr. Doll uh, coerces people to do things for him because he can make dolls that will, like, you know, inflict pain. Mm-hmm. Did you say something? No. What did you say? Oh, okay. My microphone made a noise. I thought maybe you had said something, but I couldn't. Like, maybe I had done the whole delay thing that it does sometimes. But anyways, to continuing on. Um, so Iron Man's like, huh, okay. 
I have two problems. One, this suit just consumes way too much power. I'm always having to power on. Like every single issue, I've got to plug in my power cable. And that's just bonkers. Can't keep doing that. Also, if he can make a clay puppet look like me and crush me, I need to look different. So for those two reasons, it's time for new armor, kids. It's going to be lighter. It's going to be sleeker. It's going to be more flexible and more like the fabric that that Mike Kaiser hates because, you know, <laughs> why the hell not? So he makes this suit that is um, – you got the red chest plate. You have a red wrist gauntlet and red boots. And the gauntlet has this flexible gold mesh fabric that slinks up his arm with magnetics and sticks to his shoulder. Same with the le- the boots. There's this yellow mesh uh, metal fabric that sits in the boot and then it shoots up his leg and clicks into place in the, in the hip because of magnetics. So um, a new concept to the suit. The new Iron Man is born and ready to take on the doll man. Um, so he does a thing to like trick the doll man into attacking and he lures Pepper into this sort of safe room and pretends to flirt with her and she takes it seriously. She's ready to make out with her boss. And he's like, yeah, Pepper, that's it. Keep on acting. She's like, keep on what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, in fact, you know what? You stay here. And I'm going to go out this other door and try to find Iron Man to take on the doll man. She's like, okay, I just, I just stay here. So Tony Stark goes and turns into Iron Man and um, goes after the doll man. The doll man's like, ha. Huh, I can make my little doll look like your new suit too. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And Iron Man's like, oh, the pain. Oh my God. But you know what? I can fight through it because my suit's not taking up all the power that my old suit did. And um, he fights through the pain and he um, runs off and I forget, does some sort of doohickey to, um, I think, remotely shape the doll into a Mr. Doll doll. I think somehow, like, without touching it, he uses some sort of gun to, like, move the clay. Anyways, regardless, Mr. Doll's incapacitated, and um, Iron Man goes and changes into Tony. And he and Tony and Happy are just, like, hanging. Hey, how's it going? Doing how, how was the game last night? Yeah, pretty cool, right? Yeah, touchdowns. And uh, where's Pepper? Oh, shit! Pepper's still in that room! <laughs> and Tony has to go and say, uh, Pepper, sorry, I forgot about you. Pepper's like, huh, you forgot about me, did you? And storms out of them. And and Happy's like, what's she mad about? Tony's like, I just don't understand women at all. <laughs> and um, yeah. Yeah. So this issue was awesome, except for Mr. Doll. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, man, it was so good almost. There was a lot of good stuff going on. And it, yeah. I it, it did a good job with the 18 pages and, you know, the moment of crisis with the new suit. And I like the art with the new suit, being able to see his eyes and his emotions through the the, uh, the slits and everything. That's pretty great. Yeah. Like anytime Tony has to invent a new suit to solve a problem is a good day for me or a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think this one's an upgrade because obviously this is getting us much closer to this classic look that he'll sport for a very long time. Not quite there yet, but pretty close uh, right. with the orange and the yellow. Um, and yeah, Ditko did a great job on like, 
you know, explaining how it worked and you can see all the pieces laid out on the table. And, you know, as much as I don't like the fabric thing, at least there's less fabric now. Like before, the whole thing seemed to be folded and hung up. And now it's like the red pieces seem like they're actually metal and and constant. And it's just the yellow parts where he actually has to flex his elbows and knees that that aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks good. Of course, anytime also. I was oh. I was thinking about. Go ahead. I just – I was just going to say real quick that the um, we talked in the Spider-Man story recently about how Ditko likes to put a lot of thought into the Spider-Man costume. Mm-hmm. And it's just like he was kind of doing doing that again here. Yeah, for sure. And it works. It's neat. Um, uh, the whole bits were like Tony's suffering pain is really cool because, again, he's human. He only pretends to be an Iron Man. He's actually human. So all that was neat. But, yeah, the doll man is just like – his name's the Doll Man, right? Yeah, the Doll Man is just like a lamer version of the Puppet Master who is already lame. Mm-hmm. Like his powers make no sense, and he kind of can just do whatever. And yeah, that was just not great. Yeah, Mister Doll is not great. Doll Man is actually oh. one of the Freedom Fighters from DC. Oh, right, right, Mister Doll. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather Doll Man was in this issue. That would have been cool. Yeah, Mister Doll takes, like you said, Puppet Master's not so great powers and makes them worse. Yeah. And so, it, it's a whole shtick about like pretty much he causes pain to rich people until they give him money. That all seems silly too because it's like, well, as soon as he leaves, you could just call your bank and say, yeah, I got tortured into giving this guy a check. Can you please cancel it? You know? Like, I don't know. It just seems – because he's not even doing anything to their mind. Like at least Puppet Master, he kind of hypnotizes you or something. He's just causing you pain. He's like, here's a heart attack. Give me all your – give me your house. Okay. Like that doesn't seem like that would stick. Or I want to squeeze this Play-Doh at you. Yeah. And then the fact that he can, like, change their face is so fast that, like, Iron Man can't even get a repulsor beam off him, you know, and just knock him out is kind of ridiculous, too. Because there's no real magic there. He stole the secret from Africa, but it's, like, legit clay sculpting. So a couple things about the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. Um, Happy grumbles at the beginning of this issue about how Tony Stark is always having places to go and insisting that he drive himself. And so Happy's left with nothing to do because he's a chauffeur mm-hmm. with with no driving to do. Yeah. And I think Happy has a pretty good point there. Yeah, this is the second time he said that, I think. So it's going to be a thing, I guess. It just It's one of those complaints that sticks out of my brain. I don't know how many that actually gets said, but uh, you're right. It's, it's been more than once. And um, Pepper, she really loves Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. And he has no clue. Yeah. But whether he had a clue or not, he still behaves in some really not cool ways. Well, it's pretty obvious that she likes him. So, yeah. Unless he's just a complete moron. The stupidest smart guy or something. Stupidest smart guy in the world. Yeah. Um, And there's one of the drawbacks of the story is there is a moment where you're like, oh, it must be Mr. Doll doing this. Whenever it could be lots of different people. Like, some strangely dressed menace has invaded the factory he can't be stopped. It's Mr. Doll at last. <laughs> like, yeah. really? We have had at least three other stories of strangely dressed menaces entering the factory. Yeah, that'd be funny if it was just some totally other random villain. And then it's like, wow, this story went 180. Crimson Dynamo, how'd you get here? <laughs> you tricked me about the whole America thing, didn't you? That would have been fun. Okay, I think that he actually uses the phrase cardiac arrest at some point mm-hmm. and i glossed over it in the um in the synopsis yeah and tremor where he says 
Um, Probably when he's on the floor. Uh, okay, you know, it's on page 15. I've got to remove my heart activator unit as my heartbeat slows down. It deadens my nerves and I feel nothing. That's how he got over that whole problem. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's not how that works. That's really silly. <laughs> yeah. Slowing down your heart and stopping it hurts because your blood has nowhere to go. Anyways. And then if you can't feel pain and the doll doesn't work anymore, this whole I created a gadget that re-sculpts your doll seems also unnecessary. Because if you can't feel the pain, why don't you just go over there and flick him in the face with your iron finger and be done with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's the whole problem with this issue is just all the doll man nonsense stuff. But I like that he's orange and yellow now. Um, I think Ditko did a really good job of like making you feel the pressure anytime he was feeling that pain and struggling through it. Like you could feel or you could sense that it was not fun. Um, yeah. Just that stupid Mr. Yeah. Doll. Mr. Doll. Mr. Doll. I keep calling him and Doll. The last, the last scene, you know, Tony Stark, he's always been kind of the lead jerk of the year in this, in this series, but he and Happy take it to the next level. Oh, Holy yeah. mackerel. Mr. Doll is on his way to the pokey. Everything's back to normal here. Nobody was hurt in the process. And she's angry. How do you figure women? So Pepper loves Iron Man. Or no, Pepper loves Tony Stark. And Jane loves Donald Blake. And anybody else having that same problem? And Thor loves Iron Man. <laughs> well, I wasn't going for a triangle. I was just wondering, like, if, because uh, this seems like a thing, like unrequited love on the female side. In all these stories. Betty Brandt is going to go after Peter Parker, but that's pretty mutual. Yeah, that seems pretty mutual. That actually seems like the healthiest relationship we've read so far, which is funny since Peter's like 15. Yeah, because of just how crazy that relationship gets. Oh, uh, Dory Evans loves Johnny Storm. He theoretically loves her back, I hope. Yeah. Or something. At least they're dating. But like, yeah. Well, I guess I guess even with... um. Jane Foster, like, Dawn does love her back. She just doesn't know it. So that's different. Right. That's different, too. So, yeah. this um, The next issue of this series, issue 49, is going to start a new backup series. Oh, yeah? We're not to Captain America yet, but there's another backup series before Captain America. Do you remember what it was? No. Or are you aware of what it was? No. Huh. Couldn't, I guess we'll have to watch out for that. Couldn't have been good. It's not that great. We'll probably have very little to say about most of them. Okay. Um, but yeah. Um, but that kills our month, right? That does. It kills September. 1963 Boom. is done. All right. So now we got to do that thing. Do uh, that thing you do. Which, by the way, geez, I don't know. But I say that every month, I think. I don't know. Okay. Well, should, I, should I review them real quick? Yeah, yeah. We got? Let's review them. Okay, so just in the in the order they uh, came out on um, Mike's Amazing World here, Avengers two with the Space Phantom and Giant Man and the Hulk leaving at the end of the issue, mm-hmm. Journey into Mystery ninety eight with Thor versus the Human Cobra, and the backup was Odin versus Searcher, I think. Yeah. No. No. No, no, no. We haven't gotten there yet. I've read Odin that one. Battles about Ymir, that one. Y- I don't know how you say it. Ymir. Ymir, yeah. King of the Ice Giants. Right. King of the Ice Giants. Okay. Then over in Sergeant Fury number four, we have Lord Haha's Last Laugh. <laughs> God. With the death of Junior Juniper and the introduction of Pamela Holly. Oh. Yay. Okay. Um, Tales to Astonish 50 with the human top 
versus a very clumsy giant man. And our first continuation. Yes, our first cliffhanger. Oh, this is a big month. All nine thing, nine stories are here. Crap. The X-Men number two with the Vanisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 7 with the Vulture. And then the three we talked about today. Fantastic Four 21 with Hatemonger. Strange Shells 115 with Sandman. Also the origin of Doctor Strange. And Tales of Suspense 48. So I don't know if we need to split apart Tales of Asgard from the Thor comic, but we definitely should consider the Doctor Strange and mm. the Torch different stories. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So where are you, sir? Hate, I'm going to say Journey. Journey into it's, Mystery. It's that was silly. The whole like kill the guy and get snake potion and then Thor goes to that country because he got in a fight and yeah, it's just weird. Okay. And, and also like it uh, 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 resolved the Jane thing too fast for me, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's understandable. Like I wish that would have gone on a little longer for some reason, even though we make fun of the romances on this show. But love, I'm going to have to edge it out with uh, Amazing Spider-Man 7 only because, you know, story-wise, they're all it's pretty much the same as all the rest of these, but... I really liked the end. I really liked the Betty Peter oh, yeah. office moment. That was really, really cool. So that gets my win because it had, because, you know, none of the other issues had that. It was a very uh, Jim and Pam moment. Yes. With, with, uh, but, but surrounded by chaos and JJ Jameson running around with his mouth taped shut. That was hilarious. Okay. So, um, I, it's getting hard with so many comics. I know. But I, I'm trying to decide, like you, is there anything that beats Spider-Man this month? And the Fantastic Four definitely doesn't. Um, the Avengers was very cool. I like the Avengers issue. I mm-hmm. like the Space Phantom, but it was not top. Sergeant Fury is actually a contender, and so is the Doctor Strange origin for me. Even though it's weird, I, I like that story. But um, I am going to have to go with Spider-Man because it has the visuals during the fight. It has the stuff, like you said, with Betty... And there are other things of uh, J. Jonah Jameson's antag- being antagonized by Spider-Man. Um, anyways, I love, love that issue. Amazing Spider-Man 7. And for bottom, it's honestly a toss-up between several stories that weren't half bad. But I decided to give it to the Fantastic 421. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's on my more like upper end list. I was going to say the X-Men 2. Yeah, that's on my lower X Men Two. But I was not, I was not bored through a third of the X Men like I was with the Fantastic Four. Okay, it's hard. So, it's hard to find Fantastic Four too boring because Kirby's art is always so amazing in it. Um, but yeah, story wise, I guess not a lot was going on. All right, that is. Um, I'm just scrolling back through. That is not the first time we've put Fantastic Four in the bottom, but it is the, only the second. Uh, back when we did our pre monthlies vote. There was some Fantastic Four comic that we just hated. So we both put that. It might have been Kurgo of Planet X. Oh, God. I don't know. Probably. And believe me, it pains me that I picked a Vulture story as my favorite this month, too. Don't let let it be assumed that I didn't notice that myself. But I wasn't going to call attention to your pain. (laughs) Because Avengers 2 was cool. But yeah, dang it, that stupid Betty Peter moment is just like the best thing of this month. So it's got to win. All right. Well, we are nearing the end of the episode. Where can they find us, Mr. Kaiser? MakeOursMarvel.com. We'll have all the links you need. 
uh, for whatever kind of phone or I guess that's pretty much how you listen to podcasts, phones or pads or something. Um, mm-hmm. Or you could just click play right at the website if you wanted to. There's also a form to mail us. We're going to continue those mail episodes where we read what you tell us. We, we read what you ask us. We read what you correct for us, which I like even better. Um, or just add because we never know stuff. That's great too. Or you could just email us directly, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. All right. And um, I have another podcast I'm working on. Actually, two. Two? Because I just, I just started another one. Well, I just started as we record this. It was a long time ago as it's coming out. But yeah, there are two other podcasts out there. If you want to um, check out, those are the uh, All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast. And um, my son and I are doing audio commentaries for Japanese superheroes. So you can find that at Super Silly Sentai. Oh. which is also on the John Reads Comics website. So want to send some thank yous and welcomes to people who've been following us on the Twitsters. Um, I believe the last person I said thank you to was Amusing Moose, because I remember being tickled by that name. Um, Joe Curcurio is a father, a leftist, and a comic book geek, and a soccer fan, and a technology writer. So thank you, Joe, for following us. We've been followed by a podcast. Now, I could be wrong, but I believe this podcast is being hosted by a friend of the show, Gene Hendricks. Gene, Gene, the podcasting machine. And it is called The Class 1000 Podcast. It's a live role-play podcast using the classic Marvel superheroes phase rip system. Um, and I've been looking through to see. I'm looking on their page right now just to see if I am wrong. Yes, Gene tweets, since we started Class 1000 Pod recently. So yeah, that is Gene Hendricks's podcast. Go check that out at Class 1000 Pod. We have Andrew Billington, like a cat playing the ocarina. We have Ohi with three E's. So thank you with three U's. <laughs> uh, Captain Marvell hey. is following us. Yes, he's a big MCU fan. Pop Cult also, as well as Ted Jenkins. So thank you for following us on the Twitter. And I guess we've never really mentioned, but it's worth pointing out that obviously you followed us months ago and we're just now saying anything about it because there's a long gap between release and production. So yeah. Yeah. Still appreciate it. Exactly. It's been a long time. Still appreciate it. We've been appreciating it this whole time. And as always, we definitely appreciate retweets of episodes or sharing of episodes telling your circles of nerddom that we are here is one of the best ways to get the word out about the show so thank you very very much and um i guess that wraps us up are we done are we good we are good september in the can it is in the can so until mr doll's consciousness is trapped in a pair of dolls that are enlarged to be twin supervillains Make ours marvel. marvel.